Welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. If you've been following along online, you know that we have been uh, in a sermon series in the book of Exodus uh, for the past several weeks, looking at uh, the many, many ways that that story of God bringing freedom and liberation, redemption for his people in slavery in Egypt, how it parallels our own story, enslaved to sin and evil and set free by Jesus uh, on the road to redemption. And so this morning, uh, our reading is going to be from Exodus chapter 5. If you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Our reading will be from Exodus 5, verses 1 through 9. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it, and pay no regards to these lying words. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. You can be seated. This is one of the darker chapters uh, in the book of Exodus, really one of the darker chapters uh, in the scriptures, where God's redemptive effort, his work to bring freedom and life and healing and liberation to his people, Uh, is met with this dehumanizing cruelty. Not only were they to not be released from their slavery, but their burdens were going to be increased and added to as they were told not just to make bricks for the building of Pharaoh's cities, but now to make bricks without even being given the resources to make them bricks without straw. Redemption uh, is never unopposed. God's bringing his redemptive work into this world doesn't happen in a vacuum. But from beginning to end, it runs into opposition from the forces of evil. In the early part of Mark's gospel, uh, as Mark introduces us to the work of Jesus, uh, we see Jesus doing these amazing, amazing displays of his power. These demonstrations of his power over this world. We see him healing the paralyzed who are unable to be healed by doctors. 
We see him cleansing lepers and ridding them of this disease that had left them hopeless. We see him calming a storm, showing his power even over the forces of creation. We see him even raising a dead little girl. And then in Mark chapter 3, he makes a statement that helps to put this in context. He says, No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then he may plunder his house. You see, the way Jesus cast his work, the way that he showed what he was going to do is he said, look, I am here to take from the enemy, from Satan, the personal force of evil. I'm here to take God's image bearers back, to take this creation back. And it won't happen without a fight. The strong man has to be defeated, broken, and bound so that God's children, men, women, and children can walk in freedom from this slavery. You see, in Jesus' view of the world and the way that he teaches us to see the world, it wasn't enough for Jesus just to come teaching us how to live. Right? It wasn't enough for Jesus to just be another wise religious teacher showing us how to live our lives. It wasn't even enough for Jesus to come simply announcing good news, to say God loves you. Because God might be a God of love who loves us, but if we remain enslaved to a power greater than ourselves, we might be deeply loved, but in no better position to live with freedom. No, redemption is something that has to not only be taught, not only be announced, but it has to be enacted. Something had to happen because of this world really is under the curse of slavery. If this world really is enslaved to the forces of sin and evil and death, then something had to happen for that power to be broken. And that's what we believe happens in Jesus' life and his demonstrations of power over the forces of darkness. It's what happens on the cross where he defeats the very powers of evil and oppression and death. And it's what happens in the resurrection as he rises victorious over the grave. The power of evil doesn't just roll over in the face of God. It has to be fought and defeated. In the events of Exodus uh, in chapter 5, this is you know, 1,200 years before the appearance of Jesus, show us much the same message. Moses has been given good news. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we looked at that beautiful promise that God gives to Moses. He says, go, Israel is my son. Tell Pharaoh to let him go, that he might worship me. And so Moses, equipped with this announcement of good news, walks into Pharaoh's house, walks in front of the most powerful man, of the most powerful empire in the known world, and he says, the God of Israel says, let my people go. We hear those words, of course, uh, if you're of a certain age, in the booming voice of Charlton Heston, right? Let my people go. Uh, we know from last week that that's not how Moses thought of himself. Right? Moses said, I'm a stutterer, I'm not very brave, I'm not very confident. He might have come in sheepishly, he might have come in timidly, but he did say to Pharaoh, as God's ambassador, let my people go. Imagine how much different things could have been and would have been if Pharaoh had heard the God of Israel says, let my people go, and he had said, okay, yeah, that sounds good, that sounds, let's do it, go home. 
But of course, we know that's not how the story plays out. One, Exodus would be a much shorter book. Uh, The movies wouldn't be nearly as entertaining. But we know that that's not the way it happens because we know that that's not how kings work, right? We know that that's not how people in power operate. They don't naturally bend the knee to a power greater than themselves, right? We know that that's not how evil works, that evil doesn't roll over and give way when it's confronted, right? And so Pharaoh doesn't uh, simply bend his knee to the God of Israel and say, well, if the God of Israel says it, then I'd better do it. No, he doubles down on his cruelty. He doubles, doubles down on his reign of dehumanizing evil. Oliver O'Donovan's a, a British theologian. He beautifully describes the rulers of this world. I love this line. He describes the rulers of this world as those who are marked for displacement at the revelation of Jesus. That the kings, the dictators, even the presidents of this world, that all earthly rulers are marked from the beginning as those who will be displaced by the reign of Jesus. And what makes a good ruler in this world is one who acknowledges that, one who humbly views whatever power he's given as a stewardship, right? And that's the same whether you're the the boss of a business, whether you're a congressman, whether uh, you show up uh, to teach a class, right? That we're meant to be viewed whatever, whatever amount of power, authority, or influence we're given, it's ours for a season and it doesn't belong to us. And we're accountable before a greater authority. But... The scriptures paint a different picture of the way that authority in this world usually functions, right? That those with authority tend to twist it, to be primarily about them and their own dominance. The apostle Paul tells us uh, in his words that the principalities and powers of this world, that is the spiritual forces of darkness that work through earthly authorities, often, more often than not, get their way in human affairs, As the psalmist asked in Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain and the kings of the earth plot against the Lord and his anointed? Right, that the typical way that this works is that the nations war against one another and they war against their own people for their own aggrandizement, for their own wealth and their own power. And so in such a world, the appearance of God's authority, asking for his purposes to be done, let my people go, is met with resistance. This is how sin works. It's how the world works. And so Pharaoh says, who is the Lord, in verse 2, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? You can hear the arrogance in his words. Who is this God that I, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, should listen and pay any regards to his words? And then he doubles down on his cruelty to the Israelites, asking them to make brick without straw. And friends, this is how sin always works. Sin begins with a denial of God, with a denial of God's right to command our lives and our world. And it proceeds from the denial of God to the destruction of his image bearers. Right, that sin follows a predictable course. We deny God thinking that apart from his rule, there's life and freedom, that we would be better off ordering our own lives and our own world and our own societies. And so we turn our back on him thinking it's going to lead to fullness, 
thinking it's going to lead to freedom, and then finding that it leads only to a deeper enslavement and a deeper despair. Right? This is true in our personal lives, right? This is the way that addiction works in our lives. It promises us freedom at the beginning. And so we start to go down a path that ends up enslaving us. We start out down a path that we cannot turn away from. And all sin is addiction, right? All sin is enslaving. And so if you're anything like me, at some point you've come to a part in your life where you look up and you go, you know what? I've started something that I can't stop, right? I've chosen my way into a pattern that I can't break. Something that I thought was going to lead me to freedom has led me only to the trap of slavery. It's true personally, it's true socially, right? That when we as a community begin to think that we know better how to order our own lives, that it ends up leading to the dehumanization and brokenness of God's image bearers. It leads to what we're reaping, honestly, uh, in, our, in our social life today, in a world where we easily uh, cut down others and take away from them their dignity and their rights and their personhood uh, in favor of getting our own way. This is how sin always works. And so Pharaoh here emerges as an anti-God figure in the book of Exodus, what the New Testament would call an antichrist one who's so bent on his own agenda and his own power that he denies God and destroys his people. And so if there's going to be good news in a world like this, if there's going to be good news in the face of the pharaohs of this world and the Satan who looms behind all of them, if there's going to be good news to pronounce, it's going to take the breaking of the forces of evil. And friends, this is why the gospel is good news. This is why Jesus says he comes to bind the strong man who's kept this world imprisoned for far too long. This is why the gospel, gospel literally means good news, right? It's the announcement that something good has happened, right? It's not good advice, right? Merely advice for us to follow, to take or leave as we think it can help us to lead a better life. It's not merely better ideas to think about. It's the announcement that something has happened. That in the cross of Jesus and in his resurrection, that the strong man has been bound, that evil has been defeated, that God's people can walk into a freedom because the forces that enslaved them has really and truly been done away with and that God's people truly can be set free. You know, one of the great mistakes of our age is to believe that salvation is something that lies within our grasp, right? It's to believe that salvation is something that primarily has to do with thinking the right thoughts, right? If I just have the right ideas, then that's, where, that's the way that I'm saved. If I learn to think better thoughts, we think that it comes down to the way that we live. If I learn to live a better life, a more righteous life, a more moral life, but the gospel is that you're not saved by your right thoughts. You're not saved by your right living. You have to be saved even by something stronger than right belief. 
right? We can, we can, you hear, especially in the church, talk about, you know, believe and be saved, and there's real truth to that. But your, your salvation doesn't lie even in the quality of your faith, right? It doesn't mean that you believe without ever doubting. It doesn't mean that you believe better than your neighbor believes or that you believe somehow more strongly than the person sitting down the row from you. Because we're not even saved by the power of our belief. We're saved by something that happened, right? We're saved by a person, the person of Jesus. And we're saved by his victory over the forces of evil. We're saved by his victory over all that oppresses and enslaves us. And so the resurrection of Jesus, when he walks out of the empty tomb, he is like Moses leading God's people out of Egypt. He's not just going out for his own sake. He's going out as one who's paving a way, as one who's saying, just as I'm walking out of death, you can walk with me. You are free. You don't have to live under the shackles of sin and slavery and death anymore. The beauty of the Christian life is that it is entering into a victory that Jesus has already won. Right? The victorious Christian life is not a matter of you finally getting on top of your destructive habits. The victorious Christian life isn't about you somehow finally beating sin in your life. It's about you attaching your life to the victorious one, to the one who died and lives again. And in him, we have full and abundant life. Friends, the Christian life is a life of freedom. It's not a life of making bricks without straw. Right? Jesus in Matthew 11, when he's calling his disciples to come and follow him, he says, what what does he say? He says, "Come, come to me and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If faith feels to you like a heavy burden, it's not the gospel, right? If, 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 if there's a voice in your head that sounds more like the voice of Pharaoh than the voice of Jesus, right? A voice that says, back to your burdens, try harder, do more, that lays a heavy burden on your back, it's not the voice of Jesus. The voice of Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, If religion feels to you like a heavy burden, then it's not the gospel. Human religion uh, does always lay on our backs more than we can make, more than we can do, right? To make bricks without straws, to be told to get an outcome that you're not given the resources to make, right? In any any approach to God that says you're, you're asked to produce holiness, you're asked to produce righteousness, you're asked to produce goodness in and out of yourself, is asking you to make bricks without straw. It's laying a burden on you to do something that you cannot do. And it's not a life of freedom. In the gospel, God provides all that he ever demands of us. Right? He asks of us holiness and then he breathes his Holy Spirit into us so that we can do it. He asks of us righteousness, and then he clothes us in the righteousness of Jesus so that when he looks at us, he sees the goodness of his son. He asks of us love, but then he says, no, no, you love because I first loved you. You love because I've placed love into you. The voice of religion always says, strive without ceasing. Those are the the last word, the last recorded words of Buddha, strive without ceasing. The last recorded words of Jesus, it is finished. 
The battle is fought. The victory is won. The, the, the strong man is broken. And so you don't live under Pharaoh's whip. You don't live under an oppressive force, anything that would enslave you in this life or in the one to come. But you live a life won by Jesus, a life of freedom over all that would hang to you, all that would, that would break you, enslave you, and hold you in bondage. And friends, that is good news indeed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, freedom in this life doesn't have to do with our own effort. That it doesn't have to do with our own strength. It doesn't have to do with our own finding our way to our own liberation. But Lord, your grace is a grace that breaks every chain that holds us. Your grace is a grace that breathes new life by your spirit into our dead bodies. And so, Lord, just uh, as Moses led the people of Israel out of their bondage. Lord, we believe that you and your victory lead us out of our graves, out of our sin, out of our death, and into new life. And so trusting in your victory, Lord Jesus, help us to live in the freedom that you've won for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, please visit our website at ChristChurchInTown.org.